Welcome to Lord Clark and Friends, episode number 14. Lord Clark, and I'm um, back here with uh, our friend uh, Lord Cran. Howdy. And um, tonight we are uh, working with some new equipment here, so hopefully the uh, podcast will sound better. But uh, we have my, many things to talk about. Uh, first and foremost is the uh, stuff that's going on in Illinois, I think. Well, let's start a little locally. See, I'm broadcasting here from an icebox. Oh, yeah. I'm... Tell <laughs> them about radio freedom. <laughs> okay, so should we talk about that? You know, we had an ice storm last night. Um, down in and it sucked. In my section of uh, Massachusetts, I didn't. it didn't uh, actually turn to freezing rain, so we got a rainstorm, and it sounds like you guys up in northern Massachusetts uh, got an inch of ice. Yeah, lots of ice, lots of confusion, very cold, no power. No power. Uh, that sucks. No internet either. That's, that's like the, I mean, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. It's very rough in it, yeah. Okay. That's the local news. Okay. Let's go back to Chicago. So, yeah, we need to talk about some things that are going on in Chicago these days. Um, so I hear the governor got a governor of Chicago got arrested for um, trying to sell Barack Obama's uh, vacant Senate seat. Uh, he was looking to get a job. What was it? Hundred three hundred thousand dollars a year for his wife, starting bid or something like that. He was bidding. Yeah, well, he was looking for a starting bid of three hundred thousand dollar a year job for his wife oh. uh, to to get this Senate seat. Um. In Chicago. Well, I don't know all the details. Is she a hooker? No, I, don't, I think I think he was just looking a way to make more money. Oh, okay. So we now come to to uh, I would call what we'd call a street value for uh, Senate seat. Okay, how much is that? Well, that a Senate seat costs you about three hundred grand a year. Okay, you gonna buy one? Well, uh, what I was thinking was, if this guy is so enterprising in Chicago, and we'll get back to Chicago politics in a second, but we know we know that Ted Kennedy's seat's coming up for re-election in the grand uh, for for appointment in the Grand Duchy of Massachusetts, and uh, so we're wondering how much is the Massachusetts legislature going to want for Kennedy's seat? Because you know, in Massachusetts, you don't have to worry about re-election. Because nobody ever votes against the incumbent. Well, I uh, think there's a, a much more democratic way to handle this. Or maybe it's not democratic, but at least a useful way to handle this. What we should do is we should round robin rotate all of the, the senators and congressmen from state to state. So that way we're not always stuck with the same corrupt guy. Well, that sounds like an innovative idea. <laughs> Well, I like to spice it up a little. What's uh, that old Spitzer guy doing these days? I'm sure he's looking for work. Yeah, he must be. Elliot Spitzer? Hmm. You know, this uh, this Illinois guy, I mean, compared to Spitzer, I mean, he makes Spitzer look like he was jaywalking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, this is real corruption. Like, this is the kind of stuff that you really usually can't buy out of Massachusetts. 
Well, you know, in Massachusetts, it's like, you know, they do small-time things. Like, you know, I'm corrupt, so I'll appoint my brother as the head of the, the, the court clerks, you know, who just happens to be a big-time mobster. Um, you know, and the whole Whitey Bulger thing. Um, I, and I'm starting to wonder, are we small-time corrupt in Massachusetts? I mean, you know, we've seen some heavy corruption in Louisiana with the whole Katrina thing and how corrupt Louisiana is, how backwards they are. Then we get into Chicago where, you know, dying isn't, you know, just because you died doesn't mean you ha you're going to, you have the right to stop voting. Uh, right. You know, Chicago, you know, I, I've heard so many things about the old mayor daily, you know, what he used to do. I mean, the fact that you couldn't pull down the Republican lever uh, on any of the Republic to vote Republican. You know, the guy's name may be listed there, but you couldn't use it. Uh, you know. Well, in the past couple months, we've had Wilkerson, and we've got that other guy. Yeah. Who were both taking bribery charges. So we got Chicago beat two to one. Well, in the past couple of months, I mean, we that's don't... That's right. I mean, and that's really, in the minds of most people, the score only goes as far as recent memory. True. <laughs> uh, so there's been some memorable things. Uh, right. Massachusetts has definitely got some corrupt politicians. I mean, the Wilkerson well, thing. Uh, let's, let's talk about subtle corruption, though. Okay. Not too long ago, we had this little surprising announcement by Deval Patrick about dismembering or disbanding, rather, the uh, Mass Transit Authority. We yes. had these nifty little pay raises and promises of toll hikes, all this other fun stuff. It's like, well, okay, you know, we we're setting a precedent here, and this is, you know, similar one of the similarities in. The political style of both Deval Patrick and Barack Obama, and that is, it's okay to say something, make a half-baked effort towards it, and say, ah, well, that changed my mind. Right. And whenever that happens, and nobody gets called upon it, I mean, that is a form of corruption. Yeah, that's true. I didn't, I didn't even think about it that way. Enlightened my mind onto it, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of annoyed that the uh, that Deval Patrick hasn't fallen through it on dismantling the uh, the Turnpike Authority. Yeah, uh, I can see now that yeah, oh, I can make all these big claims and try to get us to believe him, and then never follow through on it. Right. Uh, yeah, well, he's he's definitely lost. Well, he didn't have my vote to begin with, but he's lost it now. Um, <clears throat> well, he had the element of surprise on us. Yeah, sure. I think what happens is, like, he'll put these things out as if it were like a company giving out press releases. Oh, we're doing something great, and ignore the stuff that you don't want to hear, because it'll, it'll make you think we're not as bad as we really are. Right. Yeah, I never even thought about it that way. Hmm. Um, but it's true. He's... Oh, here we'll do this, but we're never going to really do it. So you're just tricking us into thinking you're you're trying to make change, and together we can. But you're well, not doing you know, anything. the politician that's pre-election and the politician that's post-election has always been known to not be the same person. 
That is very true. Yeah. That is very true. They're not the same people. Yeah. All but right. only in government can you get away with that, you know. Overtly, like, lying. Well, yeah, I mean, only in government can you overtly lie about your qualifications and that you're going to do something and then never follow through on it and still keep your job. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of a sad state of affairs when we don't hold people to what they say they're going to do. Well, and then we also set the notion of, oh, let's let, you know, if you're not going to, if you're going to fail at something, fail big because the government will jump in and be our friend when times are bad, but, you know, oh, we'll follow capitalism when times are good. The yeah. government will be our, our socialist masters when times are bad. Yep. Now, now we're getting a whole bunch of new socialist policies. Oh, they're starting to add the president. What, is the president going to bail out the automakers now? Well, see, the thing is, and what, what really annoys me about the auto bailout, uh, there are a couple things, obviously. Sure, yeah, we shouldn't be able to, or we shouldn't be paying the bill for failure. I understand that. That's a given. But what annoys me more than anything is just people who just make it like, oh, everything they make is crap. Well, that's not true. They make some good stuff, but they don't make good decisions. Right. It's, you know, I mean, that's a, a classical business case that you hear from usually frustrated workers is that management are idiots, and, you know, the people actually making the stuff are really cool. Well, <laughs> if you let, you know, you got to understand from a you know, education point of view, the people that run this are, are like the in- inmates running the asylum, and typically they're not the shoppers or bulbs in the, in the socket there. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not bright people. These are people that skip classes and party hard while we were in school busting our butts. Right. Okay? The people that usually run the show are showmen, or in in one of the best cases, in worst cases, they just, you know, people who just aren't, aren't all there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're the guys who started partying on Thursday night, you know. Yeah. Didn't have any Friday classes. Um, Party clear through till Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. No, and they still consider a three day week a good a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. This time around, I just you know it doesn't seems like the automakers have just dug their own grave. The main thing I blame here is the union. For but even so, I can't blame the union because. Management gave in to all their conceded all of the time. I can't blame the union for getting the best deal they wanted. So I'm stuck mm. back blaming management for conceding to the union and rolling over to the union. It's disgusting. You know, you can break, you, the airlines proved you can break your union. You just you just claim you're going to go out of business. You know, Eastern Airlines went out of business instead of kowtowing to the union. Put them all out of work. You know, mm. the union will concede because these guys don't want to have to lose their jobs. These guys want to work tomorrow. They don't want to stay at home because they need money. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can break the union. Cause yeah. it's like, well, do I put food in my mouth or do I have lifetime health insurance? But you can only bleed a stone so long. And, you know, I think that's part of the issue. It's like, well, you know, I, I, now I've been reading, and I, I have mentioned this to you a little bit, but I have been reading The Secret of 
of Jekyll Island. And uh, if you can discount the fact that a lot of it's just a lot of conspiratorial hoo-ha or, you know, hogwash, and look at some of the more uh, poignant points. Right. Um, One of the things is, you know, like, well, who's going to pay for it? Who's stuck with the bill? And um, you look at it, and the average person either pays for it in, you know, forced inflation of the, the currency because the government decides to pump more money, which is sort of a, an implied inflationary tax. Right. Okay? Either they're going to pay it indirectly or they're going to pay it directly. Now, if you believe half of the stuff that's in the book, not the 25% that's garbage, but the other 75% that's good, yep. um, you would sort of uh, adhere to the idea, or at least somewhat speculatively look at the idea of, okay, we're going to pay for it, and they're going to try to do it in an inflationary way so everybody doesn't get upset in such a way that they're going to come and they're going to have pitchforks and, uh, you know, uh, like swords, or maybe not swords, but pitchforks and torches and try to, you know, go directly after the politicians who are creating this mess. Okay, and you look at looking at it in the big picture, who is greasing whose wheels is the question that you really got to ask. Um, the politicians and the unions have an interesting relationship. The politicians and the automaker lobbyists have an interesting relationship. And if you follow all the trails, which I haven't done, but I probably should, uh, you know, as we all should try to make some kind of effort, but we, yeah, you know, we never get around to it or whatever. But what I'm getting at is if you follow the trails, you probably find out, hey, these all these different angles are trying to, you know, pay off somebody to get this all to happen. And the transfer of uh, a failure inevitably comes back to us yeah. as taxpayers, us as citizens, us as stakeholders who do not get any power, powerless stakeholders in a system in which our benefits are little, but our risk is high. Right, I kind of see that the uh, risk in our. Uh, I mean, we're risking all of our money because the government is the one who backs the money. So all of our money is at risk if they make a stupid decision. But they're... Now, I'm not sure. In the last episode, if I did a little bit of a retraction on something, I know we had played a video or an audio clip from a video about the politician who was saying, well, it's not your money, about our money. Well, we had discussed it, but we hadn't um, played the clip in that vi- in that one. We played it in a couple, a couple of episodes before that, I think. Okay, but did I, uh, did I come back with the, the analogy about the state, uh, the state license on the last podcast? I think, so? we, I think we talked about it. Okay. 
because if you look at it from their perspective as an issuer of currency that they're arbitrarily making up a value for, then it isn't our money. It's their money, and they're just lending it to us through the form of our labor, in which case we give it back to them through taxation. Right. It's sinister. It's sinister. It's very sinister. It is not, you know, what we get paid from the, from our labor that has been in an illegally enforceable way. You know, you look at your currency, it says, legal for all dead public and private. Right. Legal tender. It's legal tender. Oh, yeah, but it's not, it's not real. It's not real money. It's, it's legal only because they say it is, and it's enforceable. Right. It's one of these things. Oh, the full long arm of the law will come after you if you decide to not accept not accept it. If you refuse, it's punishable. But. Yeah. I can't I can't I can't create my own tender because that's illegal. Right. I have to use their tender uh to to do anything. Yeah. Which you know, but then they wanna put it at risk. So I can't keep the value of my tender, of my work, up because they, their money isn't, isn't backed by anything or current. Right. So at some point, what happens when it becomes worthless? I know the value of my labor isn't worthless. So. Well, maybe to you. <laughs> That way, moving them though, you're expendable. Your your <laughs> your work is expendable. Everything is expendable, right? Yeah, and everybody is expendable. And if you don't treat your job that way, you'll get expended. Uh, well, you you bring up a good point. In ter- I mean, what exact? I mean, if you were to think that our money actually meant what it does, and you want to say, oh, let's throw it all at at DM. Chrysler, Ford, or whoever. Okay, what's to stop them? You know, we're turning them into almost like a drug addict. Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're fulfilling their uh, temporary fix. We're giving them their hit. We're giving them their fix. Right. And we're going to keep coming back for more because we've set it up so that they can. Okay, well, anytime uh, the government does anything... It becomes immutable. It's you know, it's not never. There's nothing ever that's like temporary. They'll tell us, oh, it's temporary. We're going to change it, and then yeah, right. We're never going to do it. So, you know, I mean, just like how the initial promise of the bill, oh, it'll be seven hundred million. Oh, would you believe eight hundred million? Oh, by the time we're all done, we're looking at like two trillion. Okay, sure. All fine and dandy, and uh, you know, when they're a couple of years, they'll come back to the uh, government and they'll ask for more. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna work. And and, and you, you, nobody has a spine to cost themselves a few votes now to clean this mess up and not bail these people out. Let them actually have to clean themselves up, or do we just? Is it cheaper just to uh, you know buy a few votes? You know, just well, like I guess, right? you know, one of the biggest threats about putting, you know, a company into uh, bankruptcy 
as far as changes their relationship, because then they won't have to uh, honor any of the union contracts. Right. So the unions are piping up, oh, wait, no, you got to bail them out. Stop everything. Hold, stop the press. Bail them out, because uh, we, we want our cut. We want our benefit. Yeah, well, and that's the whole thing, is you got to break the union. And until anybody steps up and says, hey, we got to break the union, and, you know, don't mess with it, nothing's going to get done. In this case, the union is what's killing these companies. Well, is it, though? Yeah, it is. Literally, their books are so heavy with debt from people who no longer work for them, they can't afford it. And you're talking about $30 billion a year going to health insurance for people who don't work for your company, don't make a thing, who don't add any productivity to your company. What is this lifetime health insurance because you work for Ford Motor Company and you're in their union? I think that your union may be a co-factor, but I don't think they're as big as, as, you know, the financial industry. And... Perhaps uh, people acting as short sellers on these horrible uh, companies. Horrible in the financial sense, not in the product sense. Okay. Well, in any event, GM is leading $30 billion a quarter off, off of their, their books. In Pocket change. Cash. Pocket change. Well, yeah. But until they can stop that $30 billion bleed... Why should we touch them? Other than the the only government agency that should touch them is the bankruptcy court. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're overspending by whatever number. What I don't understand, though, is why it became a bailout issue. Why wasn't it a loan? Why don't they go in the business of giving... Well, I mean, I know in the past the government has loaned companies money. I think... I'm not sure what the final... What was tonight? Well, you what know, I, resolution? Well, I, don't know. I, haven't, I haven't followed up on what's actually going on. I'm trying to figure out what the president actually did. If it was a bailout or a loan or what. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't understand, like, why, why the Fed wouldn't just approach some of the bigger banks and say, you know what, we're not in the business of giving out money. You are. So if you go and loan these people your your money, uh, maybe we'll give you tax breaks. But, I mean, why why is it always, you know, the long arm of the government backing uh, securities, backing investments, good or bad, where basically... Uh, you and me have to end up being the inevitable uh, responsibility. I mean, it's our responsibility and not theirs. It's hard to get past some of these concepts, and it's because it's probably, you know, typical frustration. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody sort of, well, not everybody, but a lot of people I know at least talk about it and say, you know what, this is irresponsible. The whole thing, you know, you if you if your average person would try to try to do what the government is doing, they'd either be in, in debt up to their eyeballs or they'd be in jail. Okay, somebody would be going to jail. 
because the way they're acting is very unscrupulous. Well, it sounded like the Senate uh, doesn't want to do anything with these guys because they don't want to bail them out. The president wants to use the TARP money, and there hasn't been any action. So they're kind of sitting on their hands right now. Well, we've got just a little over a month to impeach Bush. <laughs> you think it'll go through? Your signature is pushing for it for a couple of years. Yeah. I don't know why he just doesn't sit on the sidelines in this case. Because he doesn't want to look like a lame duck. I think he just wants to be a jerk. Yeah. Well, Obama wants to bail him out. Can't make it in another month. <laughs> well, I guess not. Well, like they're gonna use. Yeah, they just want to use. I don't know. Well, I heard some politician. I'm not sure who, and I really should know. But I heard someone. And they're like, oh, you know, um. This is, this is the only choice we have. We we have to do this. Yeah. And it's like, um, okay, so you people are supposed to be bright. You people are supposed to have been lawyers at some stage, or at least something equivalent to lawyers before going into Congress. Yes. Okay? And, and you're trying to tell us we have only one choice. Okay? In Soviet Russia... Bailout comes to you, okay? This is not uh, the fascist, uh, communist, socialist regime of, of the U.S. Congress. It's supposed to be the U.S. Congress, okay? Yep. Okay, well, to tell us we have one choice, uh, I'm not buying it. Yeah, I think it's it's that whole thing. It's like no one can see that there are multiple ways to handle this. Well, they're panicky. Well, actually, you know, they're think... concerned for their jobs and they're concerned for their safety. Because if they screw it up, somebody's going to, you know, be coming after them or their family. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, is some of them can lose their their elected seats because people who lose their jobs aren't going to vote for them. Uh, you know, so these, you know, it really comes down to how much. How many uh, voters in your district uh, are working for the car manufacturers or some derivative of them? Uh, and that's why it's, is it cheaper just to bail them out or lose lose my job, you know? Yep. Yep. So therein, you know, the... Uh, therein's the ultimate... Uh, they're representing the interest of these companies or these unions over your average person. Right. Not cool. Hello. Not cool. Yeah, and and what's the union? You know, who's supposed to represent the average man? Why is he? Why is he trying to buy political votes that half the union guys don't even want him to buy? Mm. You know, the unions don't serve the average man half the time. They serve their own. Gangster needs and wants. Well, you know, I think part of it is that Obama is behind this thing, mainly because he doesn't want a bigger mess to clean up. I mean, 
when in unemployment, if he if left untouched, unemployment will probably go to thirty percent. I don't think it'll go that far. Well, I don't know, but if you, if you believe the claims that people make, oh, the sky is falling, blah blah blah. Okay. Yeah. The auto manufacturers fall, all the businesses around them fall, all the other companies fall, everybody falls, and blah. Okay. Yep. You believe all that, everybody will be out of work, and this would be a, uh, uh, it'll be resentment, it'll be blood in the streets, and it'll all be directed towards Obama and those who supported him. Yep. <laughs> um, but... You know, no one's gonna. No one in the press wants to do that. I mean, I I got a feeling that as soon as January one, January '09 rolls around, or as soon as January 21st is, you know, it's gonna be a bright sunny day in America. Things are looking up. You know, the news stories are gonna go from bleak and this is you know disturbingly bad to oh wow things are things are looking up. You know, change is happening. You know, let's look all around us and nothing's gonna happen in a hundred days. And we're going to be in the same place we were. And the only people who are telling you the truth are the stockbrokers because they're all selling Obama down the river uh, <laughs> and selling him down the stock market. You know, how many points did Obama got elected and how many – they took 2,000 points off the Dow Industrial Average. Yep. Slammed everybody. Let's just take a couple of trillion dollars of worth away from everybody. This is what we really think about your election. And you're, you're trying to tell me Obama's going to change something? Well, I'm sure the right people will be lining up to buy things at bargain prices. Yeah. If they can afford anything by the time he gets into office. Yeah. Well, you know, you're he, he just going to create a communist state anyway, so, you know, we'll be lining up down the street for blue jeans now, because, you know... And bread. Yep. And soup. Yep. Soup kitchens. Government-run soup kitchen, you know, the government-run this, the gov- you know, the government's going to have to bail out grocery stores next. And, well, and you'll have change to to- is coming. It's not the kind that you want then, huh? You know, change. Change for, uh, you know, they're going to change your grocery store into a government-run grocery store. So that means, yeah, it'll be dirty, it'll be, you know, you won't get quality food anymore. It'll all go gray. Yeah. Lucky to you, and then they'll say you're lucky to have something on your table. Look at. You know, do you really want a uh, chicken in every oven? <laughs> you know, the government will give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Chicken in every pot, huh? Yeah, that, that's a that's a pipe dream. That's, that's disgusting. That's government. That's communism. Oh. Welcome to World War Two. I mean, you know that goes way back. Welcome pre World War Two communism. New deal. Keep us into the depression ten years longer than it was supposed to last. Oh, new deal. Oh. Yeah, the only thing the New Deal did, uh, Wilson, oh, getting us into World War One. Oh, we should have fought on the side of the Germans. Might have actually done some good in the world. Wouldn't have had the Great Depression last as long. 
We wouldn't have had to go fight the Germans. So it all comes back to depression. You're not feeling so good? Government will take care of you. Times are rough? Government will take care of you. Is that what depression's all about? That's what they want to label it in the in our current times. We got a depression coming? Is that in the forecast now? I mean, I've been saying it for months. But, We're in a depression. But, you know, I'm just wondering if I'm a little bit too negative, like doom and gloom and, you know, it's all bad, blah, blah, blah. Well, I my current opinion is we're we're in a depression currently. Yeah. We're 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 in it thick. The government's doing all these things to try to take care of it and they're not, and nothing's happening. Okay, now despite popular belief, Obama does not eat babies. Why not? I don't know. I I I thought that was true. Didn't he sacrifice them to the Federal Reserve or something? Well, he's, you know, you're going to be taxed. You know, are we going to get back to the old tax systems like the Britons had where you have to go work in a government workhouse until you can pay your taxes off if you can't afford them? <laughs> Is that right. what's coming next? You know, we're going to take your child and hold him hostage until you can pay your taxes? Well, I think that's what, you know, I, I think we're going to have to ask, you know, the new... The new administration does Obama prefer to be called ruler or king? Well, he's a, he's appointing a bunch of czars. So a czar, so he, he's. Uh, well, hmm. I I think he wants to be. Uh, uh, what do you, what's the Middle Eastern term for it? A shah. Yeah, he wants to be the shah. The shah of America. Yeah. Shah Obama. Hmm. I might even institute Sharia law, you know. You never know. Uh, it's getting disgusting. It is. It is. It's annoying. It's like it's uh, it's horrible to think about because you know we have all these good things, good ideals that we strive for, and yet we watch the government set such a bad example for its people. Oh yeah. I mean, just looking at fiscal responsibility, but how about moral responsibility? Well, they they don't have. I, let's keep morals out of politics. 